there and welcome back to the DM's Book Club, a place where two motley, absent-minded people get together and attempt to dissect the rules of D&D by picking chapters apart and strangely sounding coherent about it, which very rarely happens, but hopefully is entertaining nonetheless. My name is Ryan. It is a pleasure to have you here again. And I have with me the fabulous and ever just knowing and brilliant and whatever. I, I'm, I'm just making you uncomfortable. I can see your face getting really uncomfortable with this sort of treatment it's fee hello how are you i'm good thanks normally when i get lots of compliments it means they either want something or i've done something wrong and i can never tell it's <laughs> funny you should say that because oh, no. you know i did need a favor right it is a little bit financial and cool. but we'll talk about that later it's fine cool you're, you're great by the way you're brilliant um great i'd say that <laughs> no but we, we genuinely have a quite interesting topic to talk about today I think we just dive straight into it. Do you want to give us a little bit of a rundown about roughly what we're talking about? Absolutely. So today I thought, you know, we've had our time with multiclassing and like, hooray, etc. I thought, well, we've we've just come from a brand new book. So let's let's turn about and go back into it. <laughs> um, so yes, today we're going to look again at Tasha's Cauldron of Everything because Tasha has been known for that one. It's like, oh, you can be whatever you want. And you, you, know, you throw the rule book back at the players or the players throw it back at the DM. It's like, look, I can be anything. And he's like, that's true. But What's also cool is that toward the end of Tasha's is that there's quite a few new little bits and pieces, some new little bits of um, what I would describe as weird hazards to throw in your settings at players. And I just love it. I just love that sort of like having more sort of things that you go, oh, that's really cool. Where can I add that into my campaigns? And oh, that's that's a cool new hazard, essentially. So we're going to look at today Magical Phenomena, which is pages uh, 163 to 169. And basically, I just thought that the first paragraph was actually quite interesting, that the magic has the ability to make even the most serene natural settings unpredictable. And I think there's just something very powerful about that sentence, because when we treat role-playing campaigns, and I know not every single high fantasy setting will include magic to the same extent that the Forgotten Realms does, mm. but because it's such an unknown to us, and, and we talk about, we've talked about like artificers using it to enhance sort of their own scientific discoveries and all that sort of thing, for most realms, magic is seen as an unstable, unpredictable element that only a few people can control. But even then, that knowledge of expertise is so small and it's only just beginning. So to see magic sort of in its natural environment and having an effect on the environment and being something which is like unpredictable, so you could be dangerous, it might not be dangerous. I just thought that was such a cool idea and one that we haven't necessarily explored much before. So mm. I thought we might have a quick look at that and see the seven different phenomena that it has suggested that we can include in our campaigns. Yeah, the line at the end that says they range from whimsical to deadly. Yes, is very true, because some of these things I would describe as being quite either pleasant or random or just would spice up a campaign or uh, in just a random setting with a little bit of imagination mm. or randomness or something and some of these things look utterly terrifying and horrific and I mean there's one that I know you will love and we'll get to that later but <laughs> there are some amazingly cool ideas here and actually one point again podcast very difficult to display visual medium mm. on this but some of the artwork in this book is just incredible and this chapter is no different because some of these drawings oh are just delightful 
why don't we start off with, I guess, probably the most, maybe one of the easiest things to sort of imagine, the Eldritch Storm, which I, I just have this idea in my head as being this combination of a weather system and something mm. else or some sort of other effect. So do you want to give us some idea about what these are? Absolutely. So we have covered storms as a hazard in general in one of the earlier chapters. We talked about ships combat and some of the hazards, environmental hazards you have there. And it does talk about the different kinds of magical storms. So with the different schools of uh, schools of thought, schools of magic and stuff like that. So <laughs> it's not an, a new concept having storms which are magical but what sort of makes them stands out from sort of this is that it talks about magic currents becoming trapped amidst winds and clouds and it happening almost like if you imagine like a twister or tornado and then these things start to appear so they talk about i believe it's uh i've got to count there's four different types of eldritch storms that can appear you have flay winds which are like these super powerful supernatural winds that come from other planes like the the pain, plane, or oh, pain, plane. The plane. Oh no! <laughs> ah! The pain. The oh my god! I can't even do it a second time. The plane of pandemonium. We've talked about it very briefly before. The sort of the screaming howls and stuff. And here it's just sort of almost like as an intense sandstorm, and it just powers through the land. Again, heavily obscuring things. Anyone that's caught in it gets one d four slashing damage at the start of each turn. And there's like a lot of information about all the destruction. It leaves behind mm -hmm. and how long it can last it's just it's like a terrible dust storm you can yes. imagine this in a huge desert or across some sort of wild american plain where you look over and suddenly there's this wall of wind and sand appearing from a direction maybe it's got a face as you say maybe it looks mm -hmm. more like a twister or a tornado but before you know it you're totally surrounded and you're being buffeted by things that are being picked up I feel like it is, yeah, like a sort of dusty tornado would be the best way to describe this one because it's picking things up. You're being hit by rocks, maybe the odd cow that's being picked up. I just like that image. It's, it's always heard in the horror movies, isn't there? The tornado that picks up a cow that goes past and goes, as it flies by in the wind. Create that little bit of uh, comic relief in yep. what is a scary moment. Absolutely. And well, for me, I uh, this is the point where I can't remember what it, the exact name is called, but there's a board game called Forbidden Desert. I think it is like there's like mm. one called Forbidden Island and it's a similar sort of concept where you're one of several players who have to find stuff to create uh, their escape to get out of there but with Forbidden Desert there is just a huge sandstorm and you have to find areas of shelter otherwise the sun beats down on you and all these sort of things and that's what I sort of see a flay wind it's just a really intense sandstorm that just keeps going and leaves and covers up everything in its wake so it actually mm. will probably become like difficult terrain there's actually a lot of information about the stuff it leaves behind presumably because it's such a fast wind that just blows through the party so I think mm. Again, if I was something going to incorporate into my games, it's something I would be like, it's more what happens after it hits you. Like if it hits you, it'll hit you for a lot of damage and it might take a while for it to blow itself out. It's like 1d4 times 10 hours. So it could be around for up to 40 hours in, in game time. So that's, that's several a lot of long 1d4 rests. slashing damages at the beginning of your turns. That's exactly. Uh, yeah, you got to hunker down and get out of it. I like to think you could describe the natural environment in an area where these things happen really well because the players would encounter this large sweeping field where there's no features, there's no buildings or trees or anything standing still apart from really, really smooth rock and mm. carved out sort of 
artifacts of, of, of geology of some kind and all of the sand everywhere like everything just looks too smooth mm. and too perfect and they're thinking why does this look like no one's ever crossed this before and then one of these storms hits and resets everything and you think ah that's why that's why <laughs> that's quite normal isn't it give us something more magical more magical oh okay um what about you know you like fire and you know you like storms <laughs> what <That> about <laughs> <laughs> what about you put them together so the next sort of uh, entry I guess in these sort of eldritch storms is a flame storm so sooty thunderclouds shot through with red and orange lightning streak uh, releases a deluge of fiery droplets which is like oh amazing for this I would imagine this would be happening maybe around lairs maybe around or on the on Avernus in one of the levels of hell mm-hmm. uh, with sort of more environmental hazards where this is it's an, a phenomenon which is scary but again I would not say this compared to say flay winds where you can say oh big open areas I'd be like this would be a certain set of circumstances to have flame storms but again you have the same thing at the beginning of each turn 2d6 fire damage any flammable objects which aren't being worn or carried set alight disadvantage on perception checks and ranged attacks as well because the winds are buffering you around and you can't see anything because of the sooty smoke but here this only lasts for 2d4 minutes which makes sense it's like nobody would be able to survive anything longer i don't think but again is that enough of a hazard for people to run and keep going and so maybe tracking a couple of rounds of it during combat or being able to find shelter or being able to protect themselves in some way if it's via say mordekaiden's mansion or a bubble of some kind as well yeah, I like to think of this as having a planar effect. As you say, you've got all these different planes that you might see. It Maybe Limbo is the other one I could think of, mm. a chaotic plane where things like this or pandemonium or maybe the elemental plane of fire. But yes, it wasn't until recently, well, the last couple of years, where the other thing that I was thinking of was when we saw all of the horrendous firestorms in Australia, Australia. and California <laughs> and that effect where the there's so much fire and so much ash in the air that it creates its own weather systems which i didn't realize was a thing i forget the exact phrase of it but in australia they get storms that are made from dust clouds rather than from actual earth-like behavior and they will have lightning and they rain ash and they whip up these insanely inferno-like winds so yeah you could see this as a natural effect as much as anything or Mm -hmm. as you say the effect of a dragon of some kind like oh yeah, that's yeah. That, that's so true. I completely forgot about the horrific Australian fires, which obviously was happening this time last year. But obviously time is a, an illusion right now for all of us. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, the LA fires with people setting off uh, gender reveal parties and then just starting these huge fires by accident. It's, it'd be really cool to incorporate that. If you if you weren't taking your campaigns to other planes of existence, so obviously the plane of fire, absolutely great example there where this sort of hazard probably could pop up. But yeah, just having that, just a really hot summer, it's just a lot of dry uh, fur and farming equipment or whatever suddenly spark and having this environmental disaster to work with that'd be such an Mm. interesting um couple of sessions to to work around i love that i really love that but okay okay you want something more magical fine fine i understand what about a death storm (laughs) so tell me more this this feels like absolutely horrific in some way Yes. So um, again, we have spoken a little bit about storms, which are like necromatic in some sense. Again, I think episode about ships. There is talk of like having a ship that is just is full of uh, full of dead people. It's completely undead. Has an undead crew. Has a necrotic ways about it. Mm. And this sort of just adds to it. I see this sort of example of the necrotic tempest as a sort of storm that you would see on the seas, perhaps. So it is storms that are infused with the essence of death, and they 
they roil with dark clouds that manifest with leering skulls and bone white lightning. And again, I can just imagine that you're on the seasons that the darkness comes in and you will know you're in you're in spooky ghost ship territory, man. You're not, you're not getting out of there. But the big thing about this one is that you have to do, at the end of each minute whilst you're in the storm, a DC 13 constitution saving throw or take 3d6 necrotic damage. So that's the end of every minute. And wow. the longer you're in it, it gets worse and worse. And then if you die in it, any creatures that die in it will become a skeleton or a zombie 1d10 minutes later. The storm itself lasts for a number of days and it does say that it leaves everything in its wake again, that sort of debris, that sort of effect. So if it is going over land, crops get withered, water becomes undrinkable for a certain number of days. So that it just shows how deadly this kind of storm is. Uh, it affects everything. And I just, I just think it's so cool. <laughs> Being able to bring back things as skeletons and zombies, though, is horrifying because people think when they see skeleton or zombie, you think, oh, the challenge rating caught a little skelly boy with his little short sword that comes and pokes you. But no, don't forget in D&D, skeletons and zombies can be applied to any creature, including the absolutely terrifying picture of what appears to be some sort of huge sea serpent attacking yes. a ship, which is just rather scary. I mean, the artwork here is, is so cool. Little skulls in the sky as well. Oh, yeah. dear. Yeah, fun fact, that picture I do have as a desktop picture that comes up every so often on my thing. So often when I'm finishing out and I'll just, you know, close the screen and go, oh, oh it's okay, it's not it's not real. But yeah, that, <laughs> having having stuff like that undead, maybe like a kraken or undead dragon turtles or anything like that, that become a zombie-esque sort of thing. And it's just that whole needs to shut down for food or for killing. And I just, oh, yeah. yeah, oh, scary. It's, it's absolutely horrific. And just as horrific as is the last option, which because mm. we this one it resonated with me a little bit because in our campaign, we've done huge amounts of you players having to scale to very high altitude and into cold environments quite a lot. And mm. yeah, this one seems horrific. Yeah, so this one's called, and I'm no longer get the pronunciation wrong, Thrym's Howl. That's brilliant. Oh, good. <laughs> Hooray! So yeah, cold, chilling blizzards that drive a wall of wind and snow like a living glacier. So again, that sort of idea that you're looking out onto a very clear horizon, probably at the top of a mountain or something like that, and you could just see, looking down into the valley, like this storm coming in that is just moving at such a well, glacial pace, moving through, and it's just... It talks about extreme cold, which I had to look up for. And we've done, again, like you said, in our campaign, that at the end of each day, you have to do a Constitution DC 10 check to see if we are hearty enough to get through the extreme cold or gain mm. a level of exhaustion. Yeah. With, with this storm, you get, at the start of each turn, 2d6 cold damage. And most importantly, you can't regain hit points until you've spent at least one hour in a warm environment, which is unlikely if you're in a very snowy place up a mountain the other thing to note is that if you die you freeze solid probably seen it on uh, i can't remember which book it is but it is like someone in the process of being frozen solid by a dragon i think or something like that and it's just like yeah. oh gone these storms can last for 2d 10 hours so again over a long period of time where you might not be able to take a long rest because you've not got the shelter and stuff so you have to power through it's just mm -hmm. ah it's horrifying anything that stops a party from being able to heal is a terrifying idea because i don't know is there a sense of complacency that comes with parties sometimes when they've got clerics and healing ability because they think oh well yes there's this poison arrows just hit me but i can restore poison and i can heal wounds and everything's fine and that first realization mm -hmm. where they've taken 
some cold damage and they say well i'm just going to quickly cure wounds as i look around for somewhere to hide and you say no 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 it does not work you mm. are so cold that you don't heal anything and you think oh this is terrifying like <laughs> yeah i think it's, it's something definitely at lower levels obviously you get hit a lot and, and then you're like oh we need to rescue something like that. and then obviously you, as you progress to higher levels and you're more likely to having to encounter several different things in a day before you can rest again and i like the idea is like okay well it's fine we can take a quick short rest and then we can power through but here i can just imagine if it was actually happening if you were the adventuring party and you have to power through all these kinds of storms just the level of intensity and stuff like it's i don't know how you would run them per se because this is something that it's a combat sort of situation maybe you'd have to take like okay what are people doing but maybe do it on like okay this lasts a whole day we're going to do i don't know four phases so what are you doing in the first phase you, you know what is the thing that you're helping you survive a storm and then taking that as checks a bit like um Again, I know I keep referring back to it, but on the in the ship episode, we talked about crew morale. So the idea that everyone is contributing something, and then if they make the check, it's like two checks over uh, out of a possible four, they pass and they don't get a worse benefit for it, if you see what mm. I mean. And I think that happens with the environmental hazards as well on that one. And all that is in um, the Salt Marsh book, Ghost of Salt Marsh. Yeah, yeah. They, they, all the books are starting to link in with themselves now. And mm. uh, don't forget, as a DM, you have the choice to make these rules tweaked and how they apply a little bit in your own campaign it's your it's your baby really you can do whatever you want with it but those are all horrific eldritch storms Indeed. and we, from that point we go into other effects which i think are still hazards and certainly one of them is definitely a hazard but a lot of them have a lot of variability and chaos to them which i quite enjoy and, and mm. the next category is called emotional echoes mm. which i find this idea really really cool so like how do you imagine these things work yeah as you said all these different phenomena you get the environmental like oh this is going to be lots of damaging to the ones that are more descriptive and i would say more psychological that you know to add that flavor to the story so emotional echoes are places that have been infused with powerful emotions from those who've once dwelt there who worked there who celebrated or suffered there mm. and it's usually one big common emotion so for me instantly you think of any ghost stories where the whatever's haunted the place is sort of imbued with, within the walls itself a great sort of example which is not necessarily horror based because again it talks about these different types of emotions you can have that aren't necessarily bad emotions they're just such an intense and passionate emotion is um, in the film Anastasia the animated film Anastasia there's a moment where she is in the old ballroom and mm -hmm. she imagines like she starts to dance with the ghosts and you just see this whole thing turning and becoming a beautiful beautiful place she remembers or feels what it was like to be at a party and it was just that sort of thing is what I see is that you get glimpses or snapshots of stuff that happened in this place that resonated to it. And a lot of the times, if you think back to Japanese ghost stories, is that when someone dies in anger, their ghost lives on and haunts those that come and disturbs their peace, all that sort of thing. Whereas I think what's cool about it, it gives several different examples of different kinds of emotions that you can embody in certain places and add that to the story. Whether or not that is like the main central point of a story, maybe you're going to visit a haunted house because there's been some disturbances, or you're going to say, for example, there's examples of um, battlefields. You're going through it and you feel senses of boldness and you can see or you get dreams of people going into battle and, and having this sort of uh, victory sense. 
the main sort of mechanic element of it, I will say, is that once per day, if a creature at any point expresses even the hint of the emotion that has been put into this place, and this place can be as small as a little room or it can be as big as a forest, which I thought was good. So again, it doesn't have yeah. to be constricted to uh, buildings. So if they do that once per day, they have to do a DC 16 check for suggestions because the place will be like, we'll see that emotion and want them to hang on to them and keep them there. Mm. essentially for them to perform or to act out this emotion and this spell effect if they fail lasts for 24 hours Uh, but that's kind of it for me i when i see stuff when it's suggestion and it's something that is powerful enough to make people want to act out feelings that are not necessarily themselves i probably would have included something like they will be unwilling to leave uh, and want to get back to that we've talked about it before with some of the the house of planes is that when you leave you have to make a check if you fail it you always want to go back then you there's a longing to go back there so i thought i would include that yeah this one I guess the advantage to have it worded it is because it's the effect of a suggestion spell. You as a DM get to maybe include that into the subtext of the suggestion. Like you could say, I suggest that you linger here and explain this or do this or whatever it may be. And you've got a little bit of flexibility. But the thing I love about these ideas is that it's not necessarily always evil. Like you could see this effect being brought into a horror campaign or some sort of thriller campaign where you've got a ghost haunting, the site of a murder, a massacre of some kind that gives you that feeling of either fear or hatred or something or or even horror. Horror is not necessarily put down as one of these, but you could see a sanity or Mm. horror inducing sort of effect here. But it's also good effects or happy effects or joyous effects that if anything are just as bad because a player being compelled to stay in an area and just be happy may be a terrible thing if makes them get lost or forget about a very important mission or they're chasing somebody mm-hmm. or there's some sort of time critical issue and before you know it they've spent 24 hours reminiscing about something and suddenly they're like what what happened why am i still here mm-hmm. and it's too late to do anything it, it's quite it's very interesting. I, I like yeah. things that have a twinge of both good and bad to them, like a feeling where some sort of happy feeling could be as problematic as pure horror. Mm, yeah, so, so some of the common echoes that are here, like you said, there is the fear one where you have overwhelming feelings of dread and you know you have to face your darkest fears and all that sort of thing. So this is all by the by. My favourite ones, again, like you said, the more positive ones, so you have ones of love, which they suggest that you would have this on like huge long beaches or in orchards, somewhere that is sort of very, very beautiful. And these feelings are to encourage confessions of love, but also for people to endlessly list their favourite things, which I thought, oh my God, that's so funny fun just to again that sort of way to i hate using the word manipulate but to sort of impart or put on players a trait if they're really into their role playing so it's like well you're going to do this and i think that's the thing with echoes is that there's not necessarily anything negative like they're not going to get any damage from it from staying here but you're right the time sensitive thing of their story could could really be impacted on here but also they could reveal stuff about themselves like you know a boldness one like i said before like battlefields and canyons where they suddenly just shout hidden truths about themselves and or act out greatest victories and at getting that other side of them mm. i just yeah for me obviously like you said for me i see this as a more of a horror thing to do so i was thinking of stuff like when you go uh, in phasmophobia when you go into the house and you're trying to find out evidence 
and why the ghost is here and stuff or having flashbacks and having that sort of sense that you can smell the perfume as the lady puts on before she goes on to the ball you hear the whispers or something like that and just creating that little bit of flavor the stuff yeah i just thought any part of the campaign where you want to have a hint to a ghost story or a hint to something intense or an important event that happened in the past the emotional echo is such a good choice for this it really is i i and i say the size of the place the environment everything is totally to your imagination as to how this sort of has been put in and maybe even something your party does creates an emotional echo at some point for another campaign or another sort of set of effects you know the sight of heroic battle or victory that your players mm. achieves by beating the big bad could well create one of these spaces for somebody else going forward it's that's so cool yeah yeah i like just stringing things together like that but of course we have more we have more to talk to and now we have enchanted springs which is the next sort of uh, again this gives me the image of more of a paradise-esque mm. natural fey inspired place rather than anything that has a picture of a horrific sea serpent skeleton attacking a ship which is pretty cool in the in the eldritch storm section but yeah this this seems like one of those things that should be a really really good thing to find but then has sort of an element of corruption that could come with it as well so do you want to tell us more about enchanted springs absolutely so yes enchanted springs are basically areas or places that are brimmed over with miraculous waters whether they tap into sort of some magical sources beneath the earth or have been blessed by eldritch beings and again if you think about anything that's been described about the fey wild or fey creatures that's what the sort of image you're getting here that is a very beautiful or picturesque place where i guess i would almost call it like a mirage in a way that you see this is absolutely beautiful very very enticing but there could always be an element of like well why is this here what is the purpose of this what is the hidden motive and that's what it sort of talks about and that's what you sort of alluded to is that sometimes these places can be tainted uh, either polluted by like an evil entity or through some other means and i think that is so cool because again you have those fairy tales you have those folklore stories about people drinking from the thing but then a curse befalling them what i imagine here and I'm sure you do too, is when you think of like a natural hot spring. So you think of like those ones in Norway or even the sort of more man-made ones in Japan, where it's just mm. absolutely beautiful. Like, again, you could be in a forest or you could be overlooking something. I, I remember uh, recently playing uh, Ghosts of Teshima, where one of the things that you go and bathe in uh, natural hot springs, but you're overlooking absolutely gorgeous like sunsets. That's what I see here. There's a place of peace and a place of yeah. serenity. And you get certain benefits if you drink it, or if you bathe in it, do anything with the water, you will get some sort of effect, which you can roll for using a D12. Yeah. But for me, what's, there's a couple of things that are interesting from it is that there is probably some protectors around so obviously if you come and like well i want to drink from the fountain of life uh, there's probably some sort of test or there are probably some guardians to stop you doing that or to stop people taking away from it because probably you have heard of myths of like oh well there's this there's this place in the forest we can all go bathe in um yeah. one line in this it says if you bottle any of the water from the springs there is no magical properties unless you have a specially prepared vial that has been blessed by the being that created this place which i think is so important because i think a lot of the Adventurers may go, ah, this is perfect. I can have this and keep this later. If you're going to bathe or you're going to drink the waters from this magical spring, you do it now. You don't, you know, you don't have a, a chance to come back later or a chance to to keep the stuff what you've done later, which I think happens to a lot of us. I think we to get stuff we're like great, and then you 
you you dump it in your bag of holding and then later on you go what else have we got in here oh shit i'll use this now and this could be several sessions down the line when your dm goes oh I, that was supposed to be used for one specific thing okay you can use it now and it, that, that i think there's just something nice about giving the characters or giving the, your players a choice right now the second that they have to do and yeah. they have to take it or not if there's a paradise-esque pool of water with magical effects, why is it there and who is protecting it? Why is it always fantastic questions? Because at the end of the day, the D&D world is full of evil. It is a horrible, terrible place of necromancy and corruption and devils and all kinds of stuff. So things are going to want to protect these natural effects. So yeah, you've got to think about this. If your party are not of a good alignment or maybe you've got bad intentions, then something will be there. I like the idea that, I mean, the picture sort of has a pool that's carved into the root system of the giant tree. Mm. I like to imagine the tree itself is like a huge ent or some sort of protector that could like reach over and pluck people from the water and uh, (laughs) just crush them or something. (laughs) No. Well, that's more brutal than I thought. I was like, oh, tree ents are very sweet and they'll just pop you. No, you're just like, and crush with the roots, gone, done. Take that. But yeah, there's several different effects that you can have. Like some of the ones I sort of put down, quite a lot of them are good effects, I think. Uh, so you've got like plus one to AC. You've got every sentence that you say rings with lyrical splendor. So advantage on uh, charisma's checks for the next 24 hours. That's pretty good. Spider climb grows a tail, which is more of a flavorful one, I think. It has no benefits in games, but it, apparently it acts on its own and it sort of shows emotion, which is like... Yep. Take that as what you will. <laughs> love it, love it. You become your own fairy. It's fantastic. Everyone's happy. You get stuff like growing flowers from your head, an extra eye stalk or two, like 1d4 eye stalks grows from your head, so you get advantage on perception checks. And all yep. of these things last for about 24 hours-ish. There's no... Okay. Here, there's nothing bad compared to some of the other phenomena. There's no, like, real negative... I guess here, it's more trying to talk about, well you know like it's a good place but why so i guess when it talks about if you come to a place that's tainted i guess there's an expectation that you as players are going to try and reverse the pollution in some way so there's no negative or or cursed effects compared to maybe some of the other ones we come to later on but yeah again all these things are pretty cool pretty fairy like you've got the one that's a donkey's ears one which again advantage on perception checks but very much reminiscent of the midsummer night's dream and all that sort of thing so definitely magical fairy light bath Exactly. And as I said, the temporary effect is it gives you the ability to have a little bit of fun with it and mess around and players enjoy this sort of randomness. Actually, the next option we've got plays on this idea very thematically because I read this one and I thought, oh dear, here we go. This is D&D dropping down the everyone's cool and hip and taking drugs. Just because it's just a chapter called Magic Mushrooms. And Magic I thought, Mushrooms, oh, yes. That's just delightful. That's brilliant. Tell us about these. So, yeah, so Magic Mushrooms, it says right at the top, this is probably one of the most, one of the better written D&D books because it's just so beautifully inspiring with every sort of sentence they have. So it's like, mushrooms can be deadly, delicious, or both. And I'm like, <laughs> yep, pretty much. And yep. it talks about, compared to when we talked about the springs from before these magical springs, which are probably in areas, maybe not necessarily underground, but in some beautiful uh, aspects, these mushrooms that are, these are obviously fungus or fungi that has been infused with magical energy, but will be in places like the Underdark or the Feywild. So places which are a bit darker in sense of maybe tone, but also sort of like there is definitely more of a, there's something else at play here. There's another, there is definitely a hidden agenda somewhere. Yeah. 
And again, I quite like this in the sense of it talks about how do you identify what kind of mushroom, you know, what, what mushrooms do what. And it talks about creatures who are proficient in medicine, nature or survival might be you know, versed in it. So they might be able to tell you like, oh, this one doesn't kill you, for example. But only an expert can identify an unknown variety. Again, it doesn't really talk about like, if you use the identify spell, for example, was, does that make you an expert in it or not? Because they do have magical properties to a certain extent. But I think it's quite nice to be able to challenge your players to like, there are some mushrooms here. And they go, well, I pick it. Can I tell what it is? And you go, do you know anything about fungi? And if they say to you, well, yes, I've taken drugs for many years, or I am back <laughs> home. I have My background is the, uh, the, the mushroom expert or something like that. You'd be like, of course. But most of the time, I think it's just doing, it's that sort of thing where you're like, you pick something up from the ground, are you going to eat it then and there? And I just love that people go, ah, I'm not sure. So yeah, that, it's that sort of thing where it's something that's different and weird, but it's something that compared to maybe taking a bath in the water, actually, you can only gain the benefits, in quotation marks, from eating these mushrooms. You've got enough information to tell you that it's safe enough that the DM's not going to kill your character immediately, but he's not going to necessarily, or they're not going to necessarily tell you exactly what it does. So yeah. you have that element of randomness and chance that comes with it and the risk that your character may cluck and croon like a chicken for an hour, which would be amazing <laughs> to role play. I, I could just, it's the reason that you've never allowed a Kenku character in your party. Exactly the same thing, watching one of your players pretend to be a chicken for an hour and saying, going, you know, you can remove the curse. And they're saying, nope. No, I don't want to. I've done it. I, I've made my bed. I'm lying in it. Um, yeah. yeah. So there's stuff like, uh, like you said, the chicken noise is one way. You will talk like a chicken for like an hour, but also understand chickens, which I thought was great. Mm -hmm. There's um, a game called Divinity Original Sin where the whole side quest is about dealing with chickens and talking to them and stuff, which you can only do if you do a certain number of uh, little skills beforehand, which is hilarious. The other ones I thought were quite interesting to note, obviously you've got stuff like understands all languages for 1d4 days. So again, could be quite useful. Time stop. So you just cast the, the spell time stop on you when you eat it. And I had to look this up because I'd never heard of this spell. It's a ninth level spell oh, where yeah. time stops for everyone by yourself for 1d4 plus one rounds. It ends only early if you do an action that affects another creature or an object worn by another creature, or if you move a thousand feet away from the area. And I just have visions of, um, do you remember that old TV show called Bernard's Watch, where Bernard had a watch that could stop time? I and do. Yeah, that, that's exactly what I see here. Because it's not necessarily, a, you can't necessarily do like a, a hit on someone or you create a lot of damage you could but then that's time stops so if you've got five rounds which is you know, five times six is 30 sorry that took way, way too long to do but 30 seconds what do you do in 30 seconds the time stop spell is one of those weird ninth level spells where there are entire spiels on the internet about all the stuff you can do in 30 seconds or less if you've rolled badly on the dice mm. and it seems like most of the uses of the spell involve being the ultimate get out of jail card because you cast it you go huh i'm losing this fight and you dimension door away and mm -hmm. then you teleport away from dimension door out location and you're doing all these things but if you were to cast it accidentally it would be such a waste of a large ability that your character would just be walking around with the world stopped around them and they wouldn't necessarily realize what has happened until afterwards mm -hmm. <laughs> when they go ah Yes, that was quite that was quite powerful. Maybe I should have saved that. <laughs> ah, shit. Yes, absolutely. Uh, the other one I quite liked for flavor was magical mist pours out of your eyes and ears to create fog cloud for an hour. 
but again, and it focuses on the player as well. So you're walking around for a bloody hour with fog cloud, but you probably can't see, and it's quite yep. probably quite scary as a result. Yep. You're like just seeing like ah, this every orifice, this this horrible mist coming out of you, and you're like, what's is, is wrong? It a cloudy day. Is anyone <laughs> seeing this? No. <laughs> uh, all of these are mostly out of combat benefits or flavorsome. So obviously there's one right at the beginning, which is like permanent change of skin color, but it's like you are changing to a bright color. So you can't necessarily hide as well or anything like that. Uh, there's only one that is regaining hit points, which I thought was pretty good. But other than that, yeah, they're, they're all lots of fun ones. But again, I would love it if there was some some sort of like disadvantage to it. Because these are all little fun things, which I quite like. There's like, again, there's one later on, which is more about like, oh, there's definitely a problem or a consequence for eating these i think the magic mushroom one and the the enchanted springs it'd be great to have these are all the good things but there's also consequences so having a consequence table would be really good because who, who eats shit from the floor <laughs> <laughs> well that's the idea of giving a benefit with a curse like mm. the, the, retaining the balance to any gift that you give there's, i like that as an idea because you can play around with that you can give players a continual choice of are you going to take this benefit knowing what it will cost you and mm -hmm. are you going to do this yourself and yeah i think you've always got the flexibility to change the aspects of whatever effect that you're picking up to you know tweak it in one way or another that you have a dm you can choose mm. maybe you can come up with your own effects but have yeah a similar or tweaked effect ultimately one of these things casts a ninth level spell so yes. i'm sure you can think of something that would be quite fun yes absolutely so well <laughs> we, we've basically been wasting 40 minutes to get to this point which yes. is the most important point because <laughs> i read the next one and i was just slightly confused so maybe you want to you want to help explain this one to me so out of dungeons and dragons obviously you have your dungeons you have your dragons but what else is like a really prominent thing no it's not owlbears no it's not gelatinous cubes it's mimics. There's that horrible joke, or not horrible, but that old sort of well-used joke that says that everything is a mimic. You, everyone laughs, the table laughs, you kill the table, it's a mimic. Um, <laughs> it's one of those things where I think it's one that early on where you're like, I'm just going to open this chest. And then you go, the chest opens with a lot of teeth and you go, shit. <laughs> and then it eats you. <laughs> I just think this is really cool. So the idea of a mimic colony. So we've talked before about like mind flayers and and other monstrous races living together as a group, as a as a you know as a society. And why not? Why not? Is the the catchphrase of this podcast is why not mimics? These creatures are like ones that are a bit rarer than maybe the typical mimic that you just find in a dungeon. Usually you just find one or two lying around. Um, they are kind of like a parasite, aren't they? They're waiting for the food to come and then eating them. These yeah. creatures develop a sort of an understanding of the world, almost like a, you know they, their intelligence go up a little bit and they can communicate with others. And so that means they are organized. <laughs> they band together to create these colonies and create larger objects. And so they can formulate sort of a, like, right, let's pretend to be a tavern for a bit. And so they yeah. do. And I just, that, that is just such a cool thing that everything is a mimic. Why not? Yeah. Putting that to one side and then talking about the mechanics briefly of mm -hmm. it, it, it's interesting because effectively it creates a layer action where you can get the mimics to interfere with a regular fight in some way. What it doesn't do, which I find is the intriguing thing, is mm -hmm. that it doesn't give a stat block to the mimic colony itself. So mm -hmm. it, I assume you just put mimics of various sizes from the monster manual into the book and 
you know work from there and and mm -hmm. sort of that's all fine and, and and exciting and everything and it's up to you to create an environment and then this just effectively makes it a little bit more complicated a little bit harder but mm -hmm. the one thing that i'd find amazing because you look at some of these layer actions of help action it's basically the, the colony can use the help action as things spring from nothing like arms and legs start to like poke people or mm -hmm. it can spit acid from walls and stuff and mm. all of that is explained by the picture which yes. I think has to be the best picture in D&D so far Ever. like this yes. is my favorite picture because everything about it is just wonderful it's too very happy old ladies sitting and having tea looking out onto this beautiful plain with what appears to be like is that bison or cows yeah, or something I think so. out there yeah. and they're, they're, i think there's a little cake on a plate and one's got her shoes off and she's just relaxing and one's got a headscarf off and they're all very happy and it's all very lovely and just looking through this so <laughs> the teapot is a mimic the teacup is a mimic it looks like both their chairs are mimics. Mm -hmm. The rug is a mimic. The chest, flower pots, and hanging baskets are mimics. And it looks like not only the ground and veranda and the whole building there they're sitting in is also a mimic. How did they get here? Are the people also mimics? Are Have they been caught and trapped? Are they just about to get eaten? No one knows, but mm -hmm. it is just, it's the most beautiful picture. I love it. Yeah, I agree. This is like my firm favorite in this whole book. I think it's just the idea of like, yeah, how did they get here? What has happened? Like the idea that mimics have bonded together, have unionized to create whole villages. And it reminds me a little bit of um, something that I did, which I then I'd stolen from our friend Sam, was that he created uh, a tavern which had an oblex in it. Now, oblexes are slightly different to mimics, but they, they make sort of almost doppelgangers of you. They just take your memories and then they can make you as a person. I would love to see like a whole tavern which is made of mimics but is run by an oblex who has lots of people like moving around so it looks like a genuine thing that people are working together and other monstrous races are working together yeah everything about it is cool but one thing that is really cool compared to the other sort of colony I would compare this to is maybe like a mind flayer colony where everyone's working together and as everyone's on the same page mm. compared to the mind flayers who are very let's put it this way they will mind blast you and eat you pretty much straight away here mimics they are aware of their own weaknesses and if you confront a colony and they know they're overwhelmed or the threat of the existence they will either flee or they will try bargaining and i just love this idea that they'll bargain it with either information like oh there's previous adventures that came here they said this and give that information to escape give treasure from their prior in brackets food that they've just like we've kept <laughs> which i love or even give up one of their young so you have the stat blocks for a juvenile mimic and again talking about psychics why not why not have a juvenile why mimic? not why, why not? not exactly I there's so much mystery here i just don't understand and i love it i love it so much the idea of having a, someone's going to come along soon i think and say can i have a juvenile mimic uh what's it familiar of some kind oh yeah like, oh, fine i guess it fine. is challenge rating zero but still like it's just nuts i just i just don't know how to react <laughs> to any of that let's move on to something on. a bit more sensible what <laughs> sensible fair, fair. <laughs> this picture again it shows 
what appears to be a huge glowy tree with some cats with angel wings around it. So yes. please explain what's going on here. I, I will. So we've gone from, from, from mimics who are about to eat the food to something completely different, something alien. And as you said, this, again, another incredible image here. This very gives off much uh, Mad Max style vibes, I think. Like, again, the sort of dried husk trees. And yeah, these are uh, tres... I can't say there's tresums. I don't know. Like you yeah. said... Cats with wings. Right? Yeah, like they are very, very cute. Uh, they're a bit more aggressive in early editions, I've heard, but very, very cute from this image. But yes, this talks about primal fruits of wild places that aren't necessarily forests, but can be anywhere, which are brimming over with sort of nature's organic power. So you have stuff like gardens that are tended to by like eccentric wizards or groves that have been blessed or touched by divine providence. And these these trees, these, these foliage, this whatever, produces fruits with magic. So I, I could imagine even cactuses or cacti producing these sort of fruits. So very similar to how the uh, the springs worked, i.e. like if you take some water, it will lose its magical properties. Here it's made clear that not every fruit that's been born out of this, these places has magic in it but shows signs of it. So you can you can describe it as the fruit from these trees or from these bushes have more vibrant colours or they all the colours shift and change. Like if you imagine like the metallic colours on yeah. cars. It's obvious, what whatever it is, it's it's glowing and it's on fire. You know the one. Exactly. On fire, glow in the dark, etc. And there's yeah. maybe even a soft hum that emanates from it. I thought those are really cool. It sings the Bohemian Rhapsody when you get close to it, just <laughs> softly, in backwards. Yeah. The one, the one bit I did quite like is that sometimes they may be peculiar to touch so i just suddenly had that image of like you picking off i don't know like an orange or an orange type fruit but the skin of it it feels like velvet or velcro that's sort of like oh, <laughs> oh no that's that actually disturbs me more than most other stuff oh could you imagine i would definitely feel yeah. like it was a, have you ever touched a really moldy orange before one that's really turned and it gets furry and squidgy no why would i because i'd see that i don't touch things i though. mean i totally have never had such no. an orange in my possession ever so really? i don't know what it feels like either but you oh. know yes and the thing i love about primal fruit is that it ticks that box that we were just talking about which is something that gives both a curse and a boon of some kind and specifically it very obviously mentions if you identify a piece of fruit you get the good bit but you don't reveal the curse which actually is something of the identify spell that people forget quite often identify mm -hmm. does not reveal curses or that something is cursed and some of these things are just delightful <laughs> it's um i mean did any of these like tickle your fancy when when you look through them absolutely so yeah some of these are definitely like ones that you go i'm going to eat this right now and just hope for the best they definitely do feel more combat-esque the one that really stood out for me was uh, the death ward one so you start eating it euphoric visions of bright light swim through the creature's mind the creature gains the benefit of the death ward spell for eight hours and must succeed on a, on a dc 13 constitution saving throw or be poisoned through that duration so the idea you just feel constantly unwell yeah. but nothing but you can't die it sounds like the worst hangover ever that's what yeah. i see this that that's exactly what it is you're so high you actually can't do anything straight and sensibly it is <laughs> totally bad but what about the that's one of these waves of vitality crash over the creature which increases your hit point maximum by 2d10 mm -hmm. and lasts until you finish a long rest and oh yeah there's this little thing where you may have to take a dc 15 charisma saving fairy or be cursed with a random form of lycanthropy isn't that just wonderful yes <laughs> wouldn't it be great if your really annoying player who picks the fruit and eats it without thinking about it fails the check and suddenly 
bam, where at? Isn't that great? <laughs> That says a lot about you going, yes, where at, rather than anything like slightly up there. But yeah, I completely agree. And that, I feel like, is the the worst disadvantage you can have for some of these. Like Most of them are like, you gain, regain hit points, but then shed bright light for an hour, which can be useful, but also it's like, oh, well, there they are. The advantages on attack rolls that uses strength, but at the same time, once that ends, you get a level of exhaustion. The one that I really enjoyed as well was the, uh, it doesn't require food, drink, or sleep for 1d4 days, but the dreams that you have intrude on your waking thoughts so it makes you have disadvantage on perception checks because you just see all these visions from what happens when you stay up too late and you just go into that sort of state where it's sort of a bit manic and stuff so yeah, yeah i just i like that and again the other cool thing is that you have these fruits when you pick it so it's 1d6 fruits that has this magical properties when you pick them and they remain potent for a week so they don't go off quickly but they remain edible throughout so you're like oh you've lost it but you can use it instead of your rations and they can be eaten squeezed into a juice or cooked which i thought was great (laughs) hey your players may be on a january juice diet you have to respect that and maybe they don't need solid food (laughs) it's a magical primal protein shake and that is wonderful i love it with the velvety skin as well oh no don't don't now the last one Yes. I love this one because this, have you read, um, I know, what is it called? Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norell. Ooh, I saw the TV show, uh, the BBC adaptation is right. pretty good. Yes, okay. so I know of it. Exactly. The people who have read it or, or don't know it, for instance, it is a story all about old magic and, and the fae and how England has been changed over hundreds of years where once it was this sort of weird, dark, magical place ruled by primal forces. And then eventually it's become industrialized and everyone's kind of forgotten about that aspect to it. But something that it brings into the game where these fey roads or old ancient roads that will not necessarily linearly work on a map, it will start in one place and end somewhere totally different that makes no sense like you will walk through the road and you will appear 300 miles away on the other side of this road and 17 years will have passed and you're suddenly like unaware of the change just random things like that and Mm. these unearthly roads this last thing that it sort of brings in i feel like these tickle that brilliant Mm. old magic ancient pathway sort of aspect to the world so they're described as having these like currents of magic running through the, the realm invisible and almost archery like which again i'm like oh beautiful absolutely beautiful and yeah it's, uh, connecting those sort of different bits of lands and stuff for me actually i um again thinking of uh, like netherware which is the neil gaiman book about london there's a thing called the floating market and you can get there through other means and it changes where it is every single time and that's what it is it kind of be used as a sort of trade route or shift and and they can change where they go in response to uh, a noteworthy time like the different phases of the moon or an Mm. anniversary or something but for me the real real cool thing i have and again this is where i was like oh this could be used if you wanted to do more of they say a harry potter type of transportation using a pool key or anything like that there are these things called keys which you may need to get onto these roads so a way to pass through so it gives examples of like spilling a bit of blood on an archway or as you do calling the name of a specific archway three times so you do your you're doing your bloody marys there but my favorite one is right at the end is that you just happen to be the descendant of a legendary hero and that's how you can use these roads but nobody else can and i just 
oh, I love that sort of thing. If you are struggling to think about it, if you've not read uh, 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 Mr. Norell and Doctor Strange, um, that's not the book at all, but I know which one I'm in. Um, <laughs> if you've watched or read any uh, Scott Pilgrim, Ramona Flowers, the sort of protagonist's um, aim to get, it's, it's a good film, but there's problematic things when you look back at it. What she does, because she is a delivery person, she uses the gateway in between people's minds to make short hops to deliver Amazon parcels. <laughs> so Scott Pilgrim wakes up in the dream and he sees Ramona Flowers like uh, skating across. And she says, you just happen to have a convenient one in your head. Sorry. And then moves along. And that, that's how I always see it, is that it's just convenient places where people can use their own beings and adventurers might just stumble upon them. And, I yeah. love that idea. I've never heard of that before, but that is yeah. hilarious yeah. and is worrying because the chances of Amazon at some point employing that into the real world Oof. is worryingly high. Yes. They will find a way. The Alexas in your house will suddenly be gateways to the mental psychic realm. Yeah. Alexa, <laughs> open Unearthly Road to... <laughs> Whole Foods, I don't know. <laughs> I can't do that. I need a pint of humanoid blood. Oh, Damn sorry, like right, like hang on, right. Um, Gertie, get here. Gertie, oh no, not poor Gertie. Yes. <laughs> it's all imaginative, creative points for you to throw into things, and you could take any one of these sort of phenomenon and stick it into a one shot. You could stick them into a campaign. They don't need to be the center of a story they can yeah. just be a little offshoot of a session some sort of little side note something interesting you could put all manners of creatures monsters players that just happen to inhabit these things you could have i mean there's all kinds of places so, i mean the storms are, are cool in the mm -hmm. sense that you could just imagine standing on the deck of a of a ship and looking out and seeing one of these things approaching or yeah across a primal tree and you look at it and it's totally not in the direction you're going and you're like what is that and then there's that moment where you think do i do i sidetrack and go and have a look at this or do i just totally ignore it and then you're like yeah cool ignored that's good Done. yeah absolutely it's just ways yeah. to have opportunities in your games and yeah like they said for the for the storms one i was thinking proper because obviously you and i've been playing a little bit of sea of thieves recently and that all that i can just imagine like with necrotic tempest just mm -hmm. things coming up and you're like well shit and then turn yeah. about on the helm and everything like that so yeah Absolutely. So that was a lot to digest and, and my brain is going mad. So whilst I consider all of this until the next episode, mm -hmm. where can we find you? What are you up to at the moment? What am I up to at the moment? Well, uh, Ryan, I am the host of What Am I Rolling? A twice monthly RPG one-shot podcast. As always, it's going very well. I have lots always of editing. Going always going very well. I have lots of editing to do. I have games to run and everything's yeah everything's taking along really well actually i feel i feel content so that that's that's always good i'm sure next episode or the next time we talk it will be like oh god what have i done this to myself uh, more warhammer more more random things i have to learn off the top of my head so, so yeah <laughs> what about you ryan where can we find you Oh, come to Discord. Discord's where you can chat with me. I have the Ursa Ryan Discord where we have a big community of people that talk about all kinds of rubbish. Come and inflict some D&D &D on the community. It would be really good fun. And if you ever fancy Civ 6 as a computer game, that's what I tend to do a lot of my time with. Come to YouTube, find Ursa Ryan, and you can come and see me there. But as I say, I do lots of D&D &D stuff with Fee, so I'll be around lurking in the corners. <laughs> With your mushrooms, clearly. Exactly, with the <laughs> mushrooms that glow and suddenly I have a, 
<laughs> hang on the tail was the pool wasn't it I've always uh, like a big furry tail that's popping in maybe maybe I went for a bath beforehand I'm, I'm clucking like a chicken let's do that let's just do all the things you have a piece of primal fruit a mushroom and you're in the bath it's oh my god it'd be <laughs> some done, bath done. it would be some bath right until right. then everybody next time we will catch you and yeah looking forward to it see you in a bit bye <laughs>